0: and in your walk with the Lord now this might sound extreme but I'm going to unpack that for you and I want us to start with the scripture in 2 Timothy 3 14 to 15 and Paul writes to Timothy and he says but as for you he's writing to Timothy continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with with the sacred writings or the holy writings or the speaking about the word of God the scriptures the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ so I want to say that as we look at wisdom and how the Bible makes you wise your relationship with this book determines everything now when I'm speaking about the Bible I'm not speaking about the actual book that sits like I'm holding right now in terms of the you know Handling the actual book with care or respect. I'm not speaking about that. This is um, a printed book It's got many pages in it I've got a large print Bible because my eyesight I'm 49 is getting bad and I need a large print Bible But I'm not speaking about the actual book itself um, I'm speaking about the message in the book. I'm speaking about the content that is written in Scripture and you see the Bible itself says that obviously all Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. She says in the next verse. So we know that the contents of what is written in the Bible is from God himself. It's as if God breathed it out into the minds and the hearts of the writers. And the writers, as they wrote it down, it was breathed into the ideas and the thoughts, came from God and they wrote down what was inspired by God on the page. And we know that the Bible is without error, it's without faults. I think the Bible, you know, if in the 20th century, was the most best-selling book in the world. Apparently, it was the most shoplifted book in the world as well. People have tried to destroy the Bible. They've tried to make it illegal in countries where they've done that. But the Word of God has always stood the test of time. And uh, the reason it's done it, because it's the very Word of God. And it's the book above all books. And if you're a Christian, you should be a person of the good book. But this book... We're speaking about the message in the book. And I find a lot of Christians get very superstitious when it actually comes to reading and understanding and finding guidance from God in the scriptures. That gets superstitious. In other words, um, I'm going to give you an extreme example of that. And there was a king in Ethiopia many years ago. He was in the emperor of Ethiopia. His, his name was King Menelik II. He had, this is also just cutting in and out. Um, okay, because I'm holding it at the bottom. Oh, that's one. And this man, King Menelik, he claimed to have great faith in the Bible. But you see, he took it literally. And what he did is he believed that the Bible was for healing and for his salvation. And so what he did, this is true. Whenever King Menelik felt sick, he ripped a few pages from the holy book and he ate them. This was his regular practice, and it did never seem to harm him. So he would rip off pages out of the Bible, he would tear it up, and he would eat it. Got it? This was his regular practice, and he was recovering from a stroke in December 1913 when he began to feel particularly sick. He asked an aide to tear out the complete books of one and two kings and feed them to him page by page he died before he could eat both books <laughs> let me say that that is not the way that we what the, when we are called to embrace and find guidance from scripture we don't have some magical property in the actual pages on the actual letters the book itself the message of the book and i want to say what transforms you and where you find guidance from god is in the holy scriptures not in in, in how you treat like oh don't put the book on the floor like the Muslims do, you know, they keep the Quran in the highest place in their home. I think they, they say if you put the Quran on the floor, it's a sign of disrespect. And I want to say that God is not concerned as much as if you put your Bible on the floor as much as putting it in your heart and putting it in your understanding. And in many ways, we this morning, as I want to share with you, we look at how do we find guidance from God and find wisdom in His Word. And it doesn't come just because you keep it on your shelf and you keep it respectfully on your shelf. It comes as you embrace the message in your heart. And, you know, I love what it says where Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He says, the Bible or the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation and I want to stop there and just explain what that means then I want to bring it back again the the title is how the Bible makes you wise and specifically so we can find guidance from God and live well in this world what does it mean to make you wise for salvation well those of you who know what biblical wisdom is wisdom you know someone once said the difference between knowledge and wisdom you know what the difference is knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Knowledge is wonderful and we need knowledge. And the Bible is filled with information and knowledge about God. Very important. But wisdom is the ability that God gives us to make the right choices. And I don't know about you. We make choices every single day, and we want to make choices that please God. We want to make choices that are in the center of His will for our lives. And every day we are faced with a a, a myriad of choices, you know. How should I drive to this place? Who shall I marry? How shall I make money? What should I get dressed in? Uh, What shall I wear? It's like that man who got up in the morning and went to the mirror, and he, he had, you know, 10 different ties, and he took the blue tie, and he put it on in the mirror, and he said, Father, what tie should I wear today, Lord? And he heard the Lord say to him, Son, I'm your father, not your mother. (laughs) Right? Right? And so although God himself is a God who guides us and leads us, but there's certain things that he gives us, he enables us to, make, to, to have wisdom to make the right decisions based on the principles of the word of God. And, um, and so wisdom is this thing of, 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 of making good choices, making good choices, but especially 2 Timothy 3 says, wisdom, he wants to make you wise to make good choices for What? salvation in other words that God is not interested to make you worldly wise God is not interested that you are someone who is just street smart in this world only you know and we've got a lot of people who who can teach you how to live your best life now teach you how you can make more money and how you can climb the ladder and climb the pole to success and have a bigger house and have more money and have more status and have more position. We have a lot of those teachings around and shamefully there are people even unfortunately that use the name of Jesus and they misuse scripture essentially to help you build a selfish carnal self-centered life. Bible, when it makes us wise unto salvation, God's heart is not to make you, the Bible is not a quick, is not a, a get rich quick scheme. And although the Bible does speak about money, it doesn't speak about how you can get rich off it. And unfortunately, that's the way it gets used. You see, the Bible's interested, God is interested to make you wise to salvation. In other words, his heart is to shape you and fashion you that with the choices that we make, and as we are trying to find guidance from God, we find it with eternal things. In other words, the Lord is concerned with not only the here and now, but he's he's concerned. He understands that when you become a Christian and when you get born again and and come into the kingdom of God, the, the rule and the reign of God, God is concerned for how we live for that day. God, someone once said, I think it was David Pawson, is, you know, the world wants to make us, teaches us to be happy in this life, and then one day you can be holy in the next life as long as you are happy in this life. But the Bible's focus is to be holy in this life so that you can be happy in the next life. And of course, happiness and joy is part of what we have now, but the emphasis is holiness. In other words, God's concern is for your eternal state. God's concern is for your character and for your soul. And that God's concern is that when he wants to make you wise, and as we come to Scripture, his heart is not just that you, you know, become a better person but that actually you're walking in a salvation that is yours to the end of time and that we are saved not for this world only but we have people that have our hearts set on eternity and our minds set on on the future Um, and I think that's very important but you know I want to say that the greatest books of wisdom and where do we find wisdom in the Bible well the whole book is full of wisdom and we're going to kind of unpack what this looks like but three of the books that speak about the wisdom of god in the old testament where the bible makes us wise unto salvation they're in the in the jewish tradition there are three books that are known as the wisdom books and so the old testament uh scribes and teachers they focused on these three books in, in 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 essence to find the wisdom of god and wisdom is mentioned many times in these three books what is the obvious book that we find wisdom in proverbs the book of proverbs in the book of proverbs as we know there's 31 chapters in the book of proverbs someone once said if you want to really become wise read a chapter every single day one day of the month one day every day of the month ongoingly and that's where you find wisdom and there is wisdom there to make good choices to honor god and to love him and sometimes you know we want to know decisions we should make i'm telling you read the book of proverbs and there's a lot of common sense wisdom that the world has thrown out today, and that aren't that common or very wise anymore. But there's two other books that also carry wisdom, and the other book is the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, how many? Uh, hopefully, many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes. And don't uh, get Afrikaans as spreker. No, yeah, that's Proverbs. What is Ecclesiastes in Afrikaans? Preedeka. Okay, preedeka. It's about the preacher, and it's about this man, Solomon, who, by the way, seemed to be the wisest man on earth, but he couldn't have been that wise because he married, I think he had 600 wives. Imagine having 600 mother-in-laws. <laughs> so he had a lot of wisdom for other people, but as we read the book of, of, of Ecclesiastes, we realize that Solomon didn't have a lot of wisdom for himself. And as he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, there's one phrase that repeats itself again and again and again, which is the phrase, meaningless. And he goes, meaningless. All of life is meaningless. And he says, I've tried it all. I've had all the money in the world. Meaningless. I've had the best jobs. Meaningless. I've had the pleasure that the world could give me. Meaningless. And you read this book and he says, but there's one thing that counts is to serve God and to love him. And while you're in your youth, fear God. But when you read the book, I want to say that it's quite depressing reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Now again, God wants to make you wise unto salvation. So why does the book of Ecclesiastes give us wisdom? And I know when I read the book of Ecclesiastes, along with that, I want to say this, is the book of Job, right? The book of Job. The book of Job is about this man, wealthy, whose life gets destroyed and he finds himself in a, a terrible place of, of his life is, is, is a complete ruin because God allows him to lose everything so that he can find him. And this is one of the books of wisdom. And why the books make us wise is because there's an ability that, as a Christian and I want to say I want to encourage you to read the hard books of the Bible. Don't just read the parts that are easy and nice to read that are like, ooh, I'm just going to read the Psalms because, you know, Psalm 23, man. I'm just going to go there because I, I know I understand. I'm just going to stick to the New Testament. I'm just going to stick to the Gospels, you know. But I want to say to you, read that because the rest of the Bible is given to you as a gift from God. And if we don't read it, if we don't grapple with it, we don't get the kind of wisdom that God would want us to give so that we can walk well in this world. And I find with Ecclesiastes and the book of Job, there's one thing that it leaves a Christian. This is what it leaves us. It leaves us with a sense of there are bad things that happen to good people. There are things that happen to us in this world that you cannot explain. And a Christian is someone that even though there is mystery, the Christian is the one who says, but Lord, I will choose to trust you anyway. Because I serve the God who though there's mystery, all I know is I don't know. And sometimes wisdom is the ability to say, but I don't know. And I think sometimes, you know, we want the answers from the scriptures. We want, I mean, how many of you have followed the news recently and you've been following the earthquakes in Turkey? I mean, it's tragic if you switched on the news, and I mean, you must be living under a rock if you haven't followed any of that. Sorry, that's demeaning. And if there's over 20,000 people that have died. I mean, there are family, you know, entire buildings that have collapsed because of earthquake. And I know that there are people asking the question: Where is God in that midst? Why does a good God allow earthquake? Why do some get saved? And there have been miracle stories of little babies being pulled out of the rubble. Children that have been rescued. Miracle stories. But then you've got others that have died as have been crushed by these, these buildings that have come down. Like, where is God? And as a Christian, we have to wrestle with that. And I want to say that the Bible does give us some answers to some of those things. To suffering and difficulty. But at the end of the day, we are limited in our understanding. And someone who is wise is someone who says, all I know is I trust him. You know, that doesn't mean you're being foolish or ignorant. Sometimes you're saying, all I know is I'm not sure. I do want to say that I think with earthquakes, Jesus never said that if you are righteous, you will never suffer. We know that the, the New Testament's full of it, saying that if you're a child of God, there will be sufferings. There will be persecutions. You see, God's concern is not so much your how happy you are. He wants us to be happy, of course. But his concern is for our state unto salvation. How we live now for the glory of God, that whether you pass through the storm or whether you pass through something terrible and difficult and unimaginably evil even. Sometimes God will bring you through that to help you to learn how to glorify him. You see, his ways are not our ways. And as you read scripture, as you read these difficult books, we find that there's a kind of wisdom that is not like the w- wisdom of this world that wants sort all of the things. Does that make sense to you? And I'm not, I don't want to, no, there are answers to some of these things, but at the end of the day, we'd seek the one who has the answers. You know, and I want to say that although the Bible says that we can have wisdom, we can grow in an ability to make good choices, we should know the Bible, and therefore we should read it. But I want to say this, that if you know the Bible and you study the Bible and you have, you know, spent your life even reading and studying the, the, the word of God, that is not enough to find salvation. It is not enough to live a life glorifying God. And it is not enough to truly walk in a way that pleases him on the earth. That's not enough. You know, there's a there's a shocking story. I want to say shocking because I can just say it. In John 5, is 37 to 40. Of you find that there's a group of people that Jesus speaks to. We know who they are. They're the Jews, the religious leaders of the day in Israel. And Jesus is having a, an, a discussion with them. And they are, are debating and arguing about certain things, about who he is and being the son of God. And, 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 and they're having this debate. And Jesus makes an accusation to those who are religious of the day. And it's quite a profound thing that Jesus says here in John 5, 37 to 40. Let's read from verse 37. And Jesus says to these Jewish scholars and rabbis, these people, they knew and loved the word of God. And he says, And the Father who sent me has, borne, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. Now these are good people, these are Jews, these are people that loved the word of God, and that were, 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 they feared the Lord, they wanted to serve him, but they'd allowed the clutter of religion to get in the way, and you know, their forefathers, those that received the law of God, those that received it in the Old Testament, their forefathers, when Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and God appeared in all of his glory, it says that he spoke with, with a voice, with a word, and that voice was so terrifying. It says, and, and actually the, their forefathers of the Jews said to, said to Moses, we don't want to hear the voice of the Lord. We don't want his voice. Rather, you speak to us. Just give us the law. And I think that thing had got crept in and it become part of Jewish culture where they didn't know the voice of God. They didn't want the voice of God. They just wanted his word. And in this case, Jesus says to him, you've never, you haven't heard his voice, his form you've never seen. Look at this, verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And you know, these were men and women that had studied the scriptures, they memorized the Bible. These were men that knew the word of God back to front. Many of them, from when they were little children, had to memorize scripture, so much so that when you were a Jewish boy... As you grew up, especially as you followed rabbis, you would need to memorize the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And you need to quote it. You need to memorize it entirely. These men had the word of God locked up in their minds. They knew the scriptures. And they knew the Bible better than you and I. And yet Jesus says to them this shocking statement, you do not have his word abiding in you. Isn't that amazing? It's like we can think, we can have the scriptures, and we can read our Bibles, and we can have a daily quiet time. And we can think that, ah, oh, yes, I'm finding principles and good information and good knowledge that's going to help me in this life. And then God can say to you, you do not have my word abiding in you. Why would he say that to them? Well, he says it to them because they essentially, let's carry on, verse 39. He says, you have, or you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, these are people that searched, they studied, they devoted their lives to loving the word of God. And they held the Bible in very high esteem. But this is the judgment against them. And this is the lesson for us today. You think that you have eternal life in them. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus condemns them because they didn't have faith in him. They didn't have faith in him. They didn't believe the one that the very Bible speaks about. They rejected God himself. And you know, it's a strange thing to say, but it's possible. I know many people who read the Bible... They have Bibles in their homes. They want guidance from God. But what they do is they don't seek God and they don't put their faith in Christ. They just want the information. They want the information. You see, the point of the scriptures is that when we read it for ourselves to find guidance and wisdom from God, we read it to meet the one that has all guidance and has all wisdom. The reason we read the scriptures is not to know more but is to know him that knows more is yes. to love him who knows everything and to trust him even when you don't get the answers and what the word of god does is if you really read the word of god and you're open to it you find that the bible will knock you flat it will disarm you it will it will terrorize you it will scare you if you're honest if you stick if you don't to the well-worn paths, and in the Bible we meet the God in whom deserves all worship and honor and power and praise. And if we want to find guidance, if we want to learn how to wisdom, we come to Christ. You know, and that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3:15. Let's go back there. That's that's his whole point. He says, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. And what does it say next? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? You see, wisdom comes and guidance comes through faith in Jesus. So we come to an open Bible. And I want to say that if you're a Christian and you never read your Bible, there's a problem. What did they say, that old saying? You know, clean Bible, dirty Christian. Dirty Bible, clean Christian. Okay, maybe dirty iPhone, dirty Android. You know, wherever you read your Bible. But we have to be in the Bible. And, but here he's saying it's not enough that you have an open Bible. It's wonderful that you read it. But what is important, in order to have an open mind, you have to have an open heart. And that open heart comes from a, a living trust in Jesus ongoingly all the time where we are abiding in him and loving him and where we find guidance from God in the word is when we are having faith and trust in Jesus. So the answer is how do you find life in the Bible? Have faith in Jesus and open up the Bible as you do. You know the, the scripture in itself does not have power to change you. I know sometimes in classrooms you've got scriptures on classroom if you've come from a Christian class or Christian school or maybe you come from a in your home you know you've got scriptures put up on your home that's wonderful I mean I think it's wonderful to have scripture put up on your wall but those scriptures cannot change you I know people have got the 10 commandments that have been put up in schoolroom classrooms you know that's the word of God but that can't change you. You see, the word itself can't change you. It has to be mingled with faith and trust in Jesus, relationship with him. And I want to say that as, as, as people that love the Lord, faith in Jesus is the key to coming to scripture, to learn his wisdom, and to receive his guidance. And so I want to say that to you this morning. That's really what I wanted to share is, is and I want to end with a story. I want to just share something personal with you is that God will speak to you in the word and God will lead you in, but he wants you to be a man or woman of the word that's why he says, to Paul, he says to Timothy Timothy, continue in what you have learned and hold fast to the sacred teachings take this book and learn from it read it, it devour it don't just read one little verse you know, oh, a scripture a day keeps the devil away I'm just going to read my, my one scripture for the day you know That's not, no, it's not wrong, but the the Bible is designed, it's a story, and it's designed to be devoured and read and enjoyed. How many of you ever, when you were dating, those of you who are married, before email, when you ever wrote letters to your your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Adi and I used to do it while we were going out. She lived in Zimbabwe. She was studying in Zim, and I was in Port Elizabeth, and we'd write these letters to each other. Now... I would receive a letter from AD, maybe there was a little bit of perfume on it, you know, smelled nice. I'd open the letter and a oh, it reminds me of AD, I'd get all flutters in my stomach, you know, I'd go, oh, that's my future wife. <laughs> and I'd read the letter, now wouldn't it be wrong and crazy if I would take that letter and say, you know what, I am just going to take chapter 2 sentence one and i'm only going to read that little line and i'm just going to ignore the rest how do you think ad would feel about that and she said did you read my letter i go yes i read that one sentence oh it was wonderful but did you read my letter um no i just read that part you see i think we if we're honest we have the sin of selectiveness and the scripture is meant to be taken as a whole. That's why um, I love the, you know, in Revelation, John is given the scroll. And, and the angel says to him, eat the scroll, eat it, says to Ezekiel as well. Eat the scroll, eat it all. You can't have little bits for you here and there. You can't pick and choose. And I want to encourage you is that as you have an open Bible, don't just open it to the parts, but read it. Read it in context. Don't just read one little verse. Read the story. Read the heart of God as you get to know the way he deals with real people who are like you and I. But as you have an open book, make sure that you, in order to have an open mind and to get the answers, you have an open heart because you're seeking the one who has the answers. And your aim is to meet the author of the book, Jesus Christ. So I want to end with a story. And, you know, a, An example for me where I've kind of found encouragement and hope in the scriptures. Um, Over the December holidays, uh, we were on holiday for about three weeks, three, four weeks. It was a wonderful time of rest. But during the time, I really struggled for part of the the holiday with a lot of worry and anxiety. I was really anxious. And I was, uh, what, Mike, you get anxious? No, I thought you were a man of God. (laughs) And I was anxious. I was, and the reason I was anxious, I was, I was worried about the country, and I was concerned just with the state of ESCOM, It was during uh, stage six load shedding, and I was just concerned about the state of the country. Um, I also, I was born in the Seychelles. Many of you know that, and I've got a Seychelles passport. So do my kids, and I was just thinking, man, maybe I should just leave the country. I'm just thinking in the flesh now. I'm I'm not. I wasn't praying about it, like ah it's just like this country seems to be going downhill there's so much corruption and there's so much um uncertainties like lord do you really want us here maybe we should go and plant a church you know like go get sent somewhere else you know and end up in another place and i was just i was and i was i was wrestling i was struggling i I wasn't finding the lord I, i was i lost my joy and um, as I'm wrestling through this, struggling with this, I was reading one morning. I was having my quiet time, spending time with the Lord, and I was reading Isaiah. And um, actually, the Lord reminded me of Isaiah 6. So I went to go read Isaiah chapter 6. And in the beginning of this, this verse, God spoke to me. He gave me guidance and wisdom, and He settled my heart and put me at ease. And this is what Isaiah 6, verse 1 says It says, In the year. The king Uzziah died. I'm just going to stop there. And so here he is, Uzziah, this young man, a prophet, being used by God. And he's living in the, in the nation of Judah, which is bordering Israel, also part of Israel in a sense. And as he's in Judah, the, the king of Judah, who had been serving Judah for 50 years, and on the whole, he had been a good king. He wasn't a evil, on the whole, he had been a good king. In the last few years of his reign, this man Uzziah became arrogant and he became prideful and he became he began to actually stop obeying the lord and pleasing the lord and god began to judge him and during that time there was the rise of the assyrian empire where their neighboring states especially the assyrians were rising up and they were becoming a world superpower and they were beginning to threaten to invade neighboring israel and judah and all this uncertainty was happening around him. The country was in turmoil. It's like the king is dying. And it's like, oh, what's going to happen? And there was fear and anxiety in the country. And it mentions in the year that King Uzziah died. I know some of us in the elections, we were like hoping, is Ramaphosa going to be re- reelected? You know, and when Ramaphosa was re-elected, for most of us, it was like, oh. Okay, at least there's some degree of stability. We think. We don't know. And it says, in the year the king of Zia died, I love this. He says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And you know, that little verse, that phrase, pierced me to my heart. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say, Mike, you need to see God. You need to have a vision of the greatness of God again. God is on his throne, God is in control. God is the one who rules and reigns. And as a Christian, I have to settle to the fact that although the country might be shaking, and by the way, wherever you go around the world, it is shaking. You know, it's like that man in the 80s that decided he was from, I'm sure where, but he researched around the world, where is the safest place to live around the world? And he ended up in a little island called the Falkland Islands off Argentina in the early 1980s. About a year later, civil war broke out and the entire and and there was this war with Argentina and England. Some of you heard about the Falklands War. That man had moved to that island because statistically it was the safest place on earth. The safest places on earth is the center of the will of God, is where God tells you to be. And if God tells you to stay, you stay. God tells you to go, you go. With people. And I saw the scripture, and I, I tell you what, it just put faith in my heart that Lord, actually, you are great. And you are in control. And I have to trust you, Lord. And I have to have a vision of God. This God that is seated on the throne. You know, God doesn't forget you. God doesn't, like, wake up in the morning if he had to. He doesn't sleep or slumber. God doesn't ever say, Oh, where's Richard Renison? Where's... Oh, no, I forgot about him. wonder how he's doing. You know, God doesn't lose any of his sheep. God has engraved you on the palm of his hand. He knows you and he knows the thoughts that he has for you every single day. He knows it. And if we understand that as we are in him, trusting him, wanting to love him and, and be his people, the scriptures will give you wisdom unto salvation. Do you want to do you want to grow in wisdom? Do you want to be someone that makes good choices unto the glory of God, into this world? Then it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And we will be his people, and he will lead us, he will guide us, he will help you as we are together, as we journey that through as a family. So can I pray for you as we close?